Hey guys, welcome back to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. Word to the wise, there will be spoilers in this episode 135. I'm sitting on my back porch recording. People are starting to wake up, so I apologize if there is an increase in uh, yard taking care of noise, traffic noise, or the on-off switching of my heat exchanger here in the backyard. The breeze is picking up a little bit too, but I don't think it's going to be coming across the mic. Other than that, and me, you will hear many, many birds. So I'm sitting on the back porch today. If you want to get in touch with me, Teal Productions at Twitter, on Twitter, T-E-A-L is a way. I post episodes on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo and Usagi Ojimbo Fan pages on Facebook. BigTimeNoise.com slash Rabbit is the website that the episodes are posted on. UsagiPodcast at gmail.com is the email address that the podcast uses. Well, that's me too. Usagi Ujimbo, Volume 3, Number 44, from Dark Horse Comics, and I didn't write it down. Let's see, it's cover dated December 2000. This is Grasscutter 2, Journey to Atsuta Shrine, Chapter 5. The Feel of Salt is the title of the story. And there goes the heat exchanger. Our dramatis personae include, but may not be limited to, Miyamoto Usagi, Murakami Genosuke. Those are our two primaries. Uh, Senshobo, Akita, Chizu, Saru, and a new name, Kurukaze. Now, the last time I talked about a volume for book, which I believe was episode 133, I failed to mention, because I did not remember, that Sanshobo and Akita have a much more of a relationship than what I had indicated then. Akita once was in power of whatever level, and Sanshobo a servant beneath him in the military. So he was a military man serving under Lord Akita. So I, I kind of glossed over that when I was explaining roughly who they were. Sanshobo is now a priest. Ikita is a retired um, farmer, a subsistence farmer with a wife and two kids. So he's, he's gone back to the very um, much more basic life than what he had. All right, our story opens and we have Sanshobo, Genosuke, and Usagi trying to track Chizu. And Sanshobo and Usagi thought that Genosuke was. Uh, and then Genosuke admits, nah, I lost her trail back there a bit, but just, you know, kept going this way. And so they're fussing back and forth, and Usagi says, well, her plan was to throw the sacred sword in the sea to the east. And I remember remarking, well, you know, if they're just going to the seashore in Japan, that doesn't necessarily narrow things down a whole lot for you, you know, so. Um, so they decide, well, we'll just keep going, you know, generally east towards the coast, as we have been doing, and, and hope we pick up something. Usagi says uh, there seemed to be history between Lord Ikeda and the Nico Ninja Clan because uh, Ikeda particularly was um, angered by their involvement. And Senshobo says, yes, uh, when Lord Ikeda still ruled, he favored a consort who turned out to be an agent of the Nico Ninja. She passed crucial military secrets to the enemy during the civil wars. It almost led to our defeat at a critical battle. Only my lord's brilliant strategies saved the day for us. The trail of the traitor led back to her, and Lord Ikeda himself put her to death. So, pretty hardcore. So, as they're moving and talking, they start to encounter this area where the two ninjas, Chizu and Saru, Saru, uh, started fighting. And they move on and find where the 
Komori Ninja attacked. So we have a couple pages of panels filled with spore and sign of these battles. A dying Komori Ninja uh, with a star in his head. Oh. So they, again, they decide to keep going east until finally Senshobo says, There's a feel of salt in the air. Ah, there is our title. Near the coast, uh, out ahead of them, we see Chizu and Saro making a run for the coast, having escaped most of the Komori Ninja, but not all. As they break out of the wood portion of the geography, running across whatever openness there is to the actual coastline, which is going to be a cliff, uh, a seaside cliff. So they, they've broken out of the forest into the open. The Komori Ninja now are more able to attack them. Um, those that are left, and we see that there are several left, probably five to seven to eight, and they, they start dive bombing and attacking Chizu and Saru. Uh, they're, they're exchanging the sword, Chizu and Saru, and exchanging one kind of hanging back to, to put off the Komori attack so that they're uh, almost like uh, exchanging batons in a sprint in a race, shall we say, with the sword being the baton. And so they trade off several times. Um, Chizu uses some uh, powder, probably some poison powder, to try to poison a Komori that's diving on him. They trade off, and then Saru hands off and throws a star to kill the closest Komori ninja. Back and forth, back and forth. Stars um, attack by the Komori until finally there's enough Komori that they can encircle Chizu and Saru and block off their access, easy access to the cliffside. Uh, but they also have them blocked off from running back into the forest. So they've, they're flying in the air surrounding them. Chizu and Saru back to back. Uh, attempting to fight off the Komori Ninja. Huge full panel page with a grass cutter lying on the ground, seemingly between them. Komori up in the air. Very, very good um, panel. Now, I have stated a couple times in the color episode, this full page panel, I don't think would be enhanced significantly by color. Now, uh, the primary reason for that is because the Nico Ninja are black, being bats. Well, the outfits that the two Komori ninja, uh, Chizu and Saro, are wearing are also black. Uh, both of the girls' hair is dark, if not black. So, I mean, there are a lot of blacks in here to where coloring, I just don't think, would significantly add to the, the awesomeness of this particular picture. And I, I just, I wanted to point that out because I've pointed it out several times with the, with the color uh, panels. In the midst of their seemingly... Uh, low odds of winning battle. Chizu and Saru are like separated as Usagi runs in between them and takes out a Nico Ninja. Um, I don't. I, I see what Mr. Sakai was going for with this panel, but it's it's tough to really put on 2D the dynamism of that. So I think you're better suited imagining that in your head uh, these two combatants back to back are fighting to save their lives from this uh, almost cloud right of adversary flying around above them and running from off panel through the midst of them to get to the nearest enemy is this um, ally who jumps and kills you know that's just that's a very dramatic very theatric scene in in my mind's eye 
Senshobo and Genosuke catch up. So now there's the five of them on this plane, still grass cutter at their feet, uh, putting off the Komori ninja now who are a little bit more reluctant because the numbers are kind of evening up. Usagi and Chizu both dive for the sword, but in reality, Chizu was diving for a Komori diving for Usagi as he was diving for the sword. Okay, we get all that. And now Usagi has the sword and they're, they're talking in the midst of the battle trying to decide what to do. Well, now Usagi, of course, doesn't want to make the coast. He wants to make the forest and cover. So he's telling Senshobo and Genosuke that Chizu and Saru are still talking kind of amongst themselves, trying to figure out a way to get the sword now and get to the coast to dispose of the sword. In the battle here, we see Chizu um, ambushes Usagi, which I think is pretty crappy, uh, picks up the sword and just sprints towards the edge of the of the cliffside, past Genosuke, who tries to stop her, but he loses. She makes the, the cliffside and hefts the sword off. We have several panels of it flying and then starting to fall. A Komori ninja sees it. We have a panel of the sword. We have a panel of the Komori diving for the sword. And finally, it, he grabs it right before it falls into the ocean. Page turn. Saru sees that the Komori ninja has the sword. She screams and runs and dives off the cliff, grabbing the Komori ninja just by one foot, determined that he is not going to get the sword. And if she has to give her life to prevent that from happening, it will even up the uh, karma score that she has with Chizu because of her of falsely accusing her of having her fiance slash husband I, I don't remember the relationship exactly killed and so she kills the Komori ninja and now the Komori ninja and grass cutter and Saru are plummeting towards the ocean one of the Komori ninja's comrades sees and makes a desperate dive towards the sword misses it circles back around and dives into the ocean to try to re retrieve the sword. Well, the next four panels are headshots of Usagi, Genosuke, Sensobo, and Chizu all acknowledging that Komori Ninja 1, Saro, and Komori Ninja 2 are not going to come back up at all, much less any of them with the sword. Usagi, uh, Usagi, excuse me, Usagi says, so you've won, Chizu. And Genosuke says, look at that current. That sword is lost for sure. Chizu looks up and says, What now, Komori? And he indicates the game has ended, Nico. We have both lost many comrades, but further conflict would be useless. Nico, you fought well. I am called Kurokaze. So there's a new name. Uh, I, I take him to be the leader of the Komori Ninja. I am Chizu, who uh, is the leader of the Nico Ninja. But maybe right now that's a little in doubt. I don't know. So the Komori fly off, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 20, 25 of them now. So they had a big group on top of what they lost. They probably had 35 to 40 uh, ninja there with them. And our group of Senshobo, Genosuke, Usagi, and Chizu, who are all shown in silhouette, but enough silhouette that you can distinctly tell each of those characters. That's really cool. Farewell, Usagi, she says. Uh, Genosuke's like, now wait a minute. And Usagi calls him off. Uh, Chizu reaches in and gives him a kiss and then runs off. Uh, much to the chagrin of Usagi as Senshobo and Genosuke are looking at him with the, what was that look? Genosuke, Usagi, and Senshobo journey back to Aikida's farm. 
They enter. He is Aikida is sitting there with his wife eating eating dinner, and Usagi says, "I'm sorry to say." The sword is lost. And Aikida says, lost? Well, what, what, what's this? As he reaches on the floor and unsheaths grass cutter. So we find out that in some interim, uh, before he passed out, he had switched grass cutter for an iron bar out of his uh, fireplace, fire pit. The iron bar is what they'd been carrying, what they threw off the coast, what unfortunately Saru died for. Grass cutter is still here. Last panel is Usagi saying, so then, we have another chance. We've got a sword to deliver to at Suta Shrine. And that's the end of chapter five. All right. Uh, the only word that I remember seeing was shuriken. That's the throwing stars. Um, and if anybody feels inclined, please educate me. Uh, growing up, of course, being a fan of martial arts media, um, the stars, the shuriken are always thrown. It has recently come to my uh, notice that perhaps that is not what was done, that the shuriken were actually held in the hand, protruding between the fingers for a more hand-to-hand kind of weapon. Now, of course, they could be thrown, but knives and spikes were more what was thrown. The shuriken was a hand-to-hand weapon and really, in reality, wasn't thrown particularly anywhere near as frequently as it is portrayed in the media. Now, if anybody has uh, actual knowledge of that, let me know. That's what I've read. I find that kind of interesting. Um, I just you know, one of those cool little differences, I guess, between the way a weapon is portrayed and how it is actually, if it, you know, can actually be uh, born the way that it is portrayed. All right, guys, uh, after 15 minutes, it looks like I have run out of things to say. I will let you know that it looks like the next book that I'm going to talk about is the current Usagi volume, volume four from IDW. That's all in color, of course. Issue 11. So thank you for joining me today. I hope that you will continue and join me then. For those of you that may be new to the show, just a heads up, I have been covering the, well, I've been covering all of Usagi from the beginning, but I've been covering the IDW volume since the beginning. That's only been 10 episodes, so that's a pretty quick catch-up. I've been covering the Color Classics since the beginning. That's only four episodes, and that covers the very beginning of Usagi, uh, which this podcast journey for me started in 20. 11, I think, is when I started. So you kind of have an opportunity just by, if you don't want to listen to 120 episodes, although I would prefer that you did, you can listen to the Color Classics, which is the very beginnings of Usagi, and you can listen to the IDW Volume 4 episodes, which is the current volume, and, you know, fill in in between however you would want to. By all means, listen to the rest of the episodes read the books, read the stories. Uh, I see lots of discussions about people trying to acquire recently, you know, more and more Usagi material. Uh, I would hope that that also means that those folks uh, are interested in the podcast. So if anyone out there would care to point them at this, I would appreciate that. Um, Any discussion or discourse that we can get going about this is always cool. I definitely appreciate Usagi Goya for his, uh, Steve Hubble, for his comments, uh, corrections, keeping me on the the correct path. And uh, on a very, very personal level, I appreciate Maka. And uh, just, I appreciate Maka. Thank you, sir. And, excuse me a minute. And so uh, that's everything I have to say today. Uh, Next episode, guys. Issue 4 of the current volume of Soggy. Talk to you guys then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives 3.0, Unported License.